You are listening to the Enormo Cast. You're finally here, folks. The prettiest thing to ever be shoved in a crack. The new Black Diamond Ultralight C4. The featherweight camming champion of the world. 20 to 30% lighter than the old C4s which means they're 20 to 30% more sick. The BD Ultralight cams are more lightweight than bailing off the nose because you ran out of baby wipes. They're more lightweight than that kid from Provo who fell on the campfire after two beers in Indian Creek. True story. They have a device that's oh so nice and a cam that can handle the slam. If you dream of climbing with different cams, you should wake up and apologize. So check out BlackDiamondEquipment.com for the specs on these little beauties or head over to your nearest climbing retailer to fondle them with your own chubby knuckles. Put the cam down, sir. So let's say you've taken the advice you've heard on the Enormacast and played it ice climbing cool with that special climbing friend, going on trip after trip like your family even though you've had the hots for him or her since they burned you off your proj and flips in a ratty pair of Yojimbos from the Lost and Found. Well, if the perfect belay isn't conveying your longing, perhaps the climbing-inspired jewelry and accessories of Peter Gilroy will help you put the punctuation on that date that's not a date, might be a date, climbing date. At PeterWGilroy.com, you'll find jewelry, money clips, belt buckles, hats, and more, all inspired by the rock in the mountains on which your love has flourished. So please, before you resort to the lean-in or the forgotten sleeping bag or the embarrassing confessional after a 12-pack around the campfire, try a classier approach with a spectacular gift from PeterWGilroy.com. And if you crash and burn, know that Peter and the Normacast still appreciate your support, even if your partner does short rope you to the curb. And remember, enter Enormo at checkout for a discount. But keep that part to yourself. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, the big place. That's, out. Out That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. Oh, I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having them with you. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Check, check. Hello and welcome to the Cast. This is your host, Chris Caloose. It is February 21st, a little past 9 o'clock, Mountain Standard Time. This is episode 99, the last two-digit episode. And this is a conversation with Big Wall Speed Ace, Libby Sauter. So if you're a regular listener and were here last episode... You heard my announcement about the Enormo baby. Thank you very much for the many encouraging words and notes and uh, emails and comments and things about the baby. It's going to be cool. Um, I wanted to mention to you guys uh, that the Red Rock Rendezvous is coming up. I was supposed to actually do a gig there, do a live show like last year and the year before, the Lost episode. And, uh, you know, I said uh, said to my baby mama, I was like, yeah, so baby's due March 20th. You know, I got this gig on the on the 1st of April. Just uh, should be fine, right? We'll be like smooth sailing by then. I'll just head out to Vegas and everything else. Anyway, that was a uh, bit of naivete, if you will. So anyway, I had to cancel that gig. Not that anybody really knew about it. I don't think they'd announced anything about it. But 
Anyhow, I still want to give a shout out to the Red Rock Rendezvous. Great event, super fun, very well organized climbing festival. So if you guys are interested in that sort of thing and getting out of the cold place where you live into a very nice place, usually, sometimes it's windy, I think, during the rendezvous, but last year it was cooking. And uh, do some climbing, meet some people, have some fun, celebrities, climbing celebrities, whatever those are, they'll be there, some of them. Anyway, check it out, Red Rock Rendezvous online. Get your tickets ahead of time. It does usually sell out, I believe. And uh, it's April 1st to the 3rd. Will not be there, but uh, I don't know if I was a big draw anyway. Check it out. Red Rock Rendezvous. Good times. All right, that's all that's really going on here at the EnormaCast. We are nesting here at the EnormaCast headquarters, building things, painting things, getting things sorted out for the arrival of the Enormal Baby. Soon to be here. Around a month, actually. So... In life-changing events, that ranks right up there, I believe. Okay, so we're rolling in on 100, but before we get there, we have episode 99 with the lovely, charming, very energetic Libby Sauter. Libby, if you haven't heard of Libby, she was actually on the live show from Red Rock Rendezvous, one of the other reasons I bring it up again, last year, and uh, she agreed to return, which was awesome. And uh, if you haven't heard of Libby, she along with Mayan Smith-Gobot, they uh, they hold the women's nose speed climbing record. Somewhere a little above four hours up there. And uh, yeah, she's this incredibly talented climber, although she pretends not to be. She's also a very adventurous and talented nurse. Travels all over the world, literally saving children's lives. She says... They prevent them from dying, but, you know, that's mincing words, I believe. I don't know what you did today, but that's what she does. This woman sets standards for other women. She sets standards for men. She inspires, and uh, she's frankly just uh, a joy to be around. So I hope you enjoy this one, the conversation with Libby Sauter. Get you back uh, to the out of here in time to get to your poster sign. Oh, what is the poster of? Um, I think it's the one I apparently missed the email that was to like submit a new photo. So it's I think it's a, a picture of me topping out Dolt Tower, and I have like the number three in my mouth because I do that a lot uh-huh. with the speed climbing. It's like, oh, what do I do? I'm gonna right. need that in a minute. And so it's a picture of me like topping it out, and I have the number three just like in my mouth. And uh-huh. I don't know. I haven't seen it. You didn't bring me one? Come by the poster signing at okay. 11. Yeah. Um, I might <laughs> get in line. Yeah, get in line. <laughs> who, who's your, uh, who you, for Adidas? Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering. Anyway, what's your, talk to me a little bit about your current situation again. The stuff we just talked about. A um, bit. So. You just got back from the Ukraine. I just got back from Ukraine. Um, and I work for the nonprofit called the Novik Cardiac Alliance. But working for a nonprofit is exactly that. It's a way to make no profit. Uh-huh. Uh, so I went back to my old hospital. One of the great things about nursing is that you can do these travel assignments that are 8 to 13 weeks. And um, so because I haven't worked in the country for so many years, because I've been working internationally, the only place that would hire me for one of these travel assignments was a place that I'd already worked. So I went back to my old hospital at the Bay Area and took a 13-week job there. I worked three days a week for 13 weeks. And base out of either my girlfriend's uh, backyard, which is super close to the hospital, and we bike to work together because she just started working there, which is fun. Or I got a super sweet shed at a climbing gym called Bridges Rock Gym up in the East Bay. A super sweet shed. Yes. That's it's got like, like it's got that's an awesome phrase that only climbers <laughs> ever, ever utter. Like, yeah, it's a shed, but it's super sweet. No, my mom, I had a friend come through town and like, and he was going to stay with me. And she's like, you have, you have guests in the shed. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mom, this is a, 
it's high quality property. How do you fit people more than one person in this shed? Um, it fits two side by side. Okay. As long as like, cause I'm shorter, I sleep on the side that has the shelves that kind of come in mm-hmm. and then like the taller person sleeps on the right, other side. Right. It's cozy. Right. But yeah. The urban bivy. Yeah. Yeah. It's also called the Kerbin, which is the urban cabin. Okay. Nice. And so you, you keep that as like your, you keep stuff in it or when you're gone, are other people living in the shed? Uh, I have subletted it in the past, okay. um, but it does have my stuff in it. Cause I did, I used to have a flat in San Francisco. So like I have the dishes that my mom gave me when I moved out right. and things like that. So right. all my toys, cause I got it after I moved out of my flat in San Francisco to go live in Yosemite to work on Yosar. Okay. So. so you grew up in Vegas. Born and raised. Born and raised in Las mm-hmm. Vegas. And what kind of like... Uh, what kind of roots do you have there still? Uh, well, both my parents still live there. Okay. So it is, and it's technically my legal address because I'm a proud 31 year old that still claims her mother's house as her home. That's technically. Fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I go back a couple times a year to see my folks. Uh huh. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a great place. It's, it's got the climbing there is wonderful, isn't it? Like there's great mountain biking, there's right. kayaking and was that part and- of your youth? Or was it something like, did you get into climbing afterwards? Uh, a little bit of both. So I, you know, I was on a youth climbing team for like a year and a half as a kid in middle school. The team fell apart when our coach got fired and I broke my finger playing capture the flag in PE. And so I pretty much grew up just super Americana doing high school sports. I was a pole vaulter and just really involved in high school activities. It wasn't until back in college again that I started rock climbing a little bit but I was working and going to university full time okay so did you go to school in Vegas yeah I went to university there as well okay it was free so it was hard not to take advantage of that for sure that's what Nevada took all the Philip Morris money that all the states got from the tobacco settlement and turned it into a scholarship for locals oh cool thanks tobacco yeah totally Keep smoking, people. Yeah. Um, they will. So one thing, like looking at, at your life, like you do this this somewhat adventurous nursing, right? Somewhat, yeah, yeah. Off to these crazy countries, which we'll get into a little bit more. You are this big wall climber. You do the speed wall climbing. You know, you're on SAR. Your life is is about as adventurous as anyone I know. In, in, in that, you know, I follow you on social media. I follow you on Facebook or whatever. And... What amazes me about like what you do is that you can literally get off a plane and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what it appears to be like from some, you know, what looks to be a really pretty stressful and high intensity work environment in another country, uh, you know, literally saving children. Okay. Preventing them from dying. Okay. Well, that's a, a different way to put it, but it's basically the same fucking Semantics. thing, right? Semantics. So, that matters. And then you're like off a plane and then you run across the Grand Canyon and then two days later you're like setting a speed record on something and now you're in OR at, at OR and then, you know, whatever's next is whatever's next. Like, do you ever stop doing any of this stuff? Like... Do you ever sit on a couch or like hide out in a dark room or anything like that? Oh God, I do love to stare at a wall sometimes. Yeah. No, I do. I do keep a super busy schedule generally. Like the last, last six months particularly have been just insanely packed. Like I got back from Ukraine, booked my own separate ticket to fly straight to Vegas to go do this rim to rim to rim ultra run in Zion. And, you know, we did that. I had half a day's rest in, in Vegas, packed at my mom's house, drove down there, ran the next day. Drove back that night, flew back to San Francisco, and was at work the next morning. Right. Walking like a pregnant lady because I couldn't move my hip flexors or my knees. Yeah, well, because you're not really an ultra runner. <laughs> no, I'm not a runner. I'm not a runner at all, actually. I hadn't really run in and five... What did you do exactly? Uh, so we did, me and a friend, um, we did, we call, we're calling it a, a triple crown of trail running because we... Uh, it started out with just this woman that I actually didn't really know. She's dating a friend of mine in Yosemite. And she's a really big runner. And she was like, hey, you want to do the Grand Canyon? You want to run that? I was like, oh, sure. I haven't really run in like four years. So I had a really bad leg fracture in the mountains that had been slow to heal, but seemed to be on the mend. I had done uh, a 17 and an 828-mile run this, this, this last summer. And so it's, it was really fun to have the opportunity to have someone who's quite good at something be willing to like drag you along, sure. even knowing that I was going to be really slow. Our prep for that was my only training run was to do a rim to rim to rim of Yosemite from Glacier Point down the four mile trail, back up the Falls Trail, back down, cross the river again, and back up to Glacier Point. And so then we went and did the Grand Canyon. 
And in the middle of the Grand Canyon, like literally we just, just like turned around the halfway point. I was like, we should, we should do a, like a third one of these. We should go do Zion too. This sounds like a great idea. And then about two miles into the Zion run, I was like, this is a terrible idea. It's like calf deep snow. We're running through like high elevation desert in the middle of December. So wait, I, I missed something <laughs> in that. So you you ran from one side of the Grand Canyon down up the other side, then came back down and then ran up the other side. Yes. And then you like went straight to Zion and did this other no, one or like no, the next no. day? No, no, no. A month later. So they were, oh, all, they were oh. all a month apart. Oh, okay. All right. So I thought this was all like, no. it was just like, you know, a tower enchainment in the desert. Like you got in the car and like drove and then got out oh. and started running again. No, I'm sure there's someone that could do that. But like after my Grand Canyon run, so that one is, that was the furthest I'd ever run. It was 44 miles and it's like 10,500 feet elevation gain and loss. Right. And we drove partway back. Cause I had to, I had one day off to drive back to the Bay before I had to be at work again um, to go work 12 hours on my feet in the hospital. And we stopped at a rest stop, which we were going to bivy in my girlfriend's van. And it was a real struggle just to make it to, to the restrooms. And by the time I got there, cause my, like this knee tendonitis had flared up so bad. They never had my hip flexors had seized. And I was just like sitting there on the toilet and I was just like, honestly, don't know if I can get back up. Like I might just have to sleep right here with like in this really creepy Arizona, California border truck stop. Uh-huh. Running is really hard. It's well, way harder than rock climbing. You know, it, most people kind of work up to those distances, <laughs> generally speaking, you know? Like, oh. you know. Oh, if is, you, that, is that what I did wrong? Yeah. If, you know, it's like if you hadn't climbed for three years and you're just like, oh, I'm going to free climb El Cap, like, you'd probably run into similar problems, you know? Except for you'd actually fail at that probably, but you did, you did succeed. In That's your the quest. fun thing about running is that it's so simple and that yeah. you can be really slow and you just like it, you just keep, keep on, as, keep it on as long as you're good at going. Right. So are you ever worried about like permanent damage? Uh, I'm a bit concerned about my knees because I've never had much knee tendon. I had a little bit of problems after the surgery that I had because it went through my knee to put a rod in after my fall in the mountains, but yeah, hopefully I've looked up some exercises, so hopefully, hopefully I'll be able to undo what I've done. Cause now I like, I'm sitting cross-legged in the chair because I can't sit normally in a chair for very long without okay. it. My knee's really hurting. Sorry. <laughs> You're sacrificing for the normal cast. I appreciate that. There we go. Just we give it back. Yeah. We can't do this mobile. Going back to your, a little bit back about your youth in, in Vegas, I wanted to circle back and ask kind of when I was talking about this adventure thing, this, and, and Again, like looking at your, I guess your media presence, like that's the thing that's like feeding through it all is that every shot is like you just like, woo, like, you know, like <laughs> the Mountain Dew commercial, like, yeah, you know, just like high fiving and, you know, wearing some sort of costume and like in the middle of some horrible adventure with this huge smile on your face and thinking about, I mean, this is all high praise, right? From our, from our community. So where, where do you think that came from? If you were, if you're growing up in Vegas and you're like, you know, sort of a self-professed, oh, just a, a normal kid who's doing high school sports and things like, where did the, that switch get turned on? Do you think? Uh, I, I because don't... it's extraordinary. I mean, you know, people, I think who think <laughs> themselves as active and like one adventure to another, I don't know anybody who does kind of the variety of things that you're packing in, in any given month in terms of in terms of what you're asking, not just your body, but your mind to do uh, when you're out there. So where did that come from, do you think? Have you ever thought about it? No, it's it's an interesting thing to hear people say that about you because, you know, within the climbing community and within, like, the nursing community, the medical community that I exist in, people, there's so many people doing amazing, incredible things that you constantly feel like there's always time to do more because look at this person over here is is doing these incredible things and, oh, maybe I'll try this. So it doesn't ever feel like... Your own life is ever mm-hmm. as exceptional as everyone else's around you. There's a lot of amazing people doing really cool things out there. Okay. So, I don't know. So, are you denying my entire premise? Is that <laughs> what you're doing right now? That um, you're just a normal person? That you're just like everybody else? <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, like everyone in Yosemite, you know, there's everyone's doing amazing things. Like, half the kids are in Spain right now sending, and they're doing big runs on their rest days when it's raining. And Well, so... Let me let me go back then and frame it a slightly different way because your reference group, yeah, I mean that's you're sort of living up to it at this moment. But you know these people you went to high school with, 
would you imagine that they're living those sorts of lives? So the people who came from your background, like what was it that steered you off into this weird, wild land of, of high-intensity adventure? Being 31 and still claiming my mother's house where a shed is home? Right. I mean, and, and you're absolutely right. Like within our community, it's it's not unusual. Right. You know, I, I don't know if I've ever told this story on 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 the podcast. Maybe I have. I, it's, I've done so many of these fucking things. I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> but, you know, I was at a, 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 a dinner with a guy from ESPN magazine years ago mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City. And he, you know, he was just like, he was here to do some sort of story on, on Sharma when he was a kid mm-hmm. for like sports uh, illustrated kids or whatever. And he's sitting there with me and, and another couple friends, um, climbers. And he's like, you know, I talked to this guy last night and he was telling me about how he, in the seventies, he used to live in a tent and like, just like for years he lived in a tent, you know, and blah, like just running down like the basic existence in Yosemite. Yeah. And all of us were like, you know, do you want to meet someone who's living in a tent right now? Because like, <laughs> I'm looking around this room and I can tell you that guy probably is that guy is if he's not he's going to be if she's not she was yeah you know so it's like this idea that that's like normal <laughs> life is not real you know most people yeah. are just like what the hell and then i'm also going to continue to think that that like i said you have a um i think you have a well all right let me let me just put it this way what made you decide after you became a nurse to join this nonprofit that would I mean tell me some of the places you've gone in and with this with is it the Novak is that what you said Novak Cardiac Alliance yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, tell me some of the places you've gone with these people uh so the first place I went was I did a couple trips to the Dominican Republic I've been to Ecuador Ukraine don't make me argue with how rad you are <laughs> Kyrgyzstan <by the> way. <laughs> um uh Iraq and Libya Let's see, what's going on in Iraq? Oh, a war. That's right. Okay. <laughs> no, but we're in the South where it's safe. So that's the thing, though. Yeah, it, sure. It, it, the, the interesting thing, though, is that I mean, one Did of the amazing things... go to Libya or try to? Oh, uh, well, I've been to Libya a bunch of times, but right. there were a couple times we tried to go and weren't able to go. And why weren't you able to go, Libby? They... they Because <laughs> they, they blew up the airport as we were boarding the plane from Istanbul to fly there. Okay. But... Um, but just because there are these pockets of these crazy things that happen that you hear about on the news, like normal life still does go on in these cities mm-hmm. and, and in these, maybe not particularly in the cities that are particularly besieged or whatever. But, you know, we're in, we were in the south of Iraq and whereas like ISIS is currently taking over, trying to take over, but actually getting their asses kicked up in the north. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, it's Iraq and everyone hears that and they're like, oh, it sounds dangerous. But like we went out, had dinner on the Euphrates didn't have my hair covered, you know, went out with a bunch of other the doctors and nurses. Like, it's the same as in Libya. I was, I was there for um, the beginning or middle of 2015, and it was during Ramadan. And we went out to a Ramadan dinner with one of the families that we work with. And as we were, like, driving back at midnight, you know, there's mothers with their little children just, like, walking by themselves down the road. You know, and everyone's like, oh, Libya sounds so dangerous. You're like... Just like America, there's pockets right. where there's bad things that happen. Okay. But there's also lots of it where it's just normal life. There's just people, you know, ordinary is relative. Okay, so back to my original question. What made you decide <laughs> to do that versus any of the other things that you can do with nursing? I always had wanted to work abroad. Going through high school, my plan had always kind of been to go to the Peace Corps and do that. And I remember, like, always I have filled out a couple of different, like, volunteer things of, like, to get information about being able to, you know, go to Central America and help dig some holes or something. And what I've since learned are things called like volunteerism, where it's sort of more about the experience of the volunteer than actually creating a lasting impact. And so when I started nursing at Stanford Children's Hospital uh, in their pediatric cardiac intensive care unit, one day I'd only been a nurse for like a year, a year and a half. And I just was like, was Googling volunteer pediatric cardiac looking for like a medical volunteer trip to go on and I found this organization and did a bunch of years of volunteering for them before I finally was able to secure a secure a job with them. Uh-huh. And so it's a nonprofit. Oh yeah. And you started out as a volunteer, but I mean you get compensated now. Most of the time. I still yeah. go on volunteer trips. Like sure. I really wanted to go to Kyrgyzstan, but it was a volunteer trip. 
because there weren't enough funds for that trip. Right. Um, and so I went as a volunteer. Right. So, I mean, I just kind of wanted to clear up like how that lifestyle is sort of sustained. So, I mean, obviously you're not getting rich doing it, but <laughs> they make sure that like you're also not living on the street or whatever. Um, well, or, or at least you have the well, choice not to live on the street <laughs> if you don't want to. Yeah. No, uh, nursing can be incredibly lucrative if you want it to be. And that's why I'm taking this 13 week assignment in the sure. Bay Area mm-hmm. is to make a whole lot of money in three months so that I can go back to my low paying nonprofit job uh-huh. that is way more is super fulfilling and interesting and fun and really, really fucking hard. Right. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll get, I'll go, I'll get off of that line of that line of, uh, questioning now. <laughs> um, you, you almost successfully deflected me. Um, so let's go to a different place. Let's talk about your climbing. Cause this is a climbing podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, when you sort of, you said you got back into climbing in college yeah. and that was uh, still in Vegas. You're in college. Yeah. Okay. So, talk to me a little bit about um, Yosemite. Obviously, it plays a huge role in your inspiration as a climber. Talk to me about arriving there. What kind of climber you were when you got there, and then what that place sort of did to yeah. uh, to bring you to the place where I mean, you right now are along with Mayan are the are the record holder for female ascent of the nose. You've done the first female ascent, also with Mayan, right? No, no, I did it with Alex Morris on SAR. If okay, you're talking about Salte. Salte. Okay, yeah, yeah, first female one day. One day ascent setting the bar. Yeah. yeah, which was eighteen hours. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, for the first time. Yeah, so that's a you know. I was pretty happy with that because they yeah. say it's it's twice as hard as the nose. So if you do eighteen on the Salte, that's like yeah. nine on the nose. It's so. much more sort of uh, blue collar climbing up there. <laughs> a lot of wiggling and things. So it's, yeah, it's not like you just dance up. A lot of those, even Not those, those five, beautiful hand cracks yeah. on the notes. No, so. it's very different. So anyway, but back to that, let's talk about Yosemite and kind of like the, uh, the Shangri-La moment of arriving there, what that kind of brought to you. Yeah. I, after college moved to the Bay area to work at Sanford children's hospital. And so it was close to Yosemite. I was pretty excited and went out there with some friends a couple of times and, you know, did things like jam crack, but we didn't do the second pitch because we heard it was no good just meant that we it was too hard and we were scared right you know it's five nine that second pitch it's a beautiful splitter and i had this one day out there with a friend and we were on super slide like the five nine to the left of uh serenity suns and again we were bailing off because the last pitch we heard was no good the the five nine like super splitter five star pitch and uh and i was just like looking out over the valley from the top of that belay and just being like, I really want to live here and know how to climb here. Cause I knew we were, I knew we were lying to ourselves about why we were coming down uh-huh. without finishing their out and just started going a lot more. And I started, I dated a climber for the first time who sadly broke up with me before we did our first big wall, but we still went and tried our first wall together, even though I was like super in love with him. We just broken up. And <laughs> that, that sounds fraught. <laughs> it was, it was, it was terrible for so many reasons. We, we took two days to do the first six pitches of the South face of the Washington column. I couldn't, mm. despite we brought the That's like a long time. Yeah. <laughs> We had we had the Jared Ogden like how to climb even, big walls. Even as a beginner, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah, when we only did the first six, like we didn't even we didn't even make it all the way. And it was the first time I ever cried rock climbing because I like I screwed up the lower out like the um, the lower out on so was that like on the fifth pitch or something. Maybe we only made it five pitches then because that was all we did. I don't know. Yeah, it's not. Out, it's we didn't go very far, okay. and we had the book with us. Like right. literally, like we got to the base. My buddy was like, "All right, how do I?" And I was like, "Page thirty-four has how to put on your Jumars." <laughs> okay, but we had them like all dog-eared, <laughs> you know. And yeah, so I cried because I couldn't tell if I was on belay or not, or if messed up the lower out. I was like, "Oh, I can just run it out," and just like took this like tumbling swing and oh. like Jumaring up to a guy that I was in love with that wasn't in love with me. Was, oh man, it's a great. It's, it's a great way to start big wall climbing. A crucible. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't fall back in love with you. No, on that I wall. really thought that like it would work. The dating the rock climber that was you know I was going to be tough and he no didn't work. Sorry, he's a great guy. Okay, we'll just leave it at that. He'll remain nameless. Yeah. All right. So you dated this climber. You tried to climb a big wall, and just I kept coming back. So so much of the things I've done is just about pers- perseverance and like doing it and so i when i did climb super slide and i was like i want to live here i was like well hell i'm a nurse 
like I'm a terrible rock climber, but I thought, man, if I can get a Yosar. Uh-huh. And so I was like, tried to like learn how to trad climb, went to Indian Creek and, you know, was able to put a couple of like 512s on, on my resume because climbing with small hands at Indian Creek can often be with a lot of great inflammation for you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's also, it's also a place where you can sport trad climb yeah. until something happens. Right. It's, you know? it's, it's a great place yeah. to go and like learn and, and pad a resume. But, uh, so yeah. And I applied to get on Yosar and showed up in 2009 to work on Yosar with like no clue what I was doing. Uh-huh. Completely mortified showing up, didn't know anybody on the team and it was absolutely petrified and I just spent the next six months. I had one of my first nights there. I was, I was having dinner with Sky Detray, who was one of the guys on the team that year. And one of the old guys that was or older guys from a previous generation was having dinner with us. And he was like, yeah, back in my day, you couldn't be on Yostar if you hadn't climbed El Cap 10 times. And the rostrum was a warm up. And I was like, Oh fuck, I haven't done either of those. I know that the rostrum would not be a warm up for right. me. I was like, Oh, so I spent six months just like doing everything I could to learn how to rock climb as fast as possible. Already on SAR. Already on SAR. Right. I mean, like I knew how to rock climb, but like right. I hadn't climbed El Cap. Climbing in Yosemite is just. Like, obviously they, they, they want and they need to have folks on SAR that are, do have that kind of experience that that cat was talking about. Yeah. Um, but isn't much of it. I mean, you guys are just hiking around the woods. It's a lot of different things. Yeah. And, and they need a lot of different skills. And. I was hired because I knew how to tie a figure eight knot and because I was a nurse. Right. Like I got hired for my medical skills, mm-hmm. not for my climbing skills. And the team is often really diverse with different skills and people have different strengths of having people who are professional riggers. So they have really strong rope skills and you have the, the couple of folks that are just like beyond talented rock climbers coming in. Then you have your paramedics, or your nurses. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get really lucky and you get someone who's all three. Or, but more often or not, you get one person, they come in, they're one of those things. And then over the course of their tenure on Yosar, they become all of them. So what, how long did you spend on SAR? I did three years. Three years. Yeah. When was this? Two, mm, 2009, 10, and 11. Okay. And uh, what kind of, uh, you know, you went in as this half rock climber or quarter rock climber, <laughs> one-tenth rock climber. Something like that. Whatever it was. Uh, in three years, you know, not only as a, how did you change as a rock climber, but also you know, what else happened to you on those three years? Was it formative in any other way? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's an interesting thing living in Yosemite and existing around the level of people that are there that it raises the bar of what you think is standard that like, oh, yeah, doing half dome in a day. That's just what people there do. Right. Cause people live there and they know the route and it's just, so it's, it's really powerful in showing you how, what expectation how that can lead to what you are able to accomplish more than skill. If you just assume that, Oh, this is something that this is what everyone does. This is how it should go. Oh, then I'll try that. Right. And you might Epic once or twice or three or four times, but you learn to go for things. Uh huh. I know. I also really learned though, that although I deal with a medical profession where there's, there's a fair bit of death in pediatric cardiac nursing, um, Maybe it's because I don't have kids that it makes it easier to handle. Whereas death in the wilderness was just not for me. That was a big part of why I only did three years is that I really didn't like going out. You know, I can look all over Yosemite and be like, oh, that's where, that's where I picked up that climber that fell. Or that's where I did compressions on that hiker. Or that's where we pulled that body out of the water. Right. I just, I didn't want, didn't like that Yosemite had become that for me anymore. Well, that seems it does. It seems a little counterintuitive because I think most people would find like the death of a kid and you know a child or whatever to be to be in some like global way like more tragic. So, what do you think the difference? I mean, I don't, you may not want to dwell on it, but what do you think the different uh, difference was for you? Um, well, I think it's it's the accidental and the personal in that a lot of time the majority of your patients in pediatric cardiac care are kids that were born with a defect. Okay. There are the kids that get a, a viral cardiomyopathy and they're in heart failure from, you know, getting a cold or whatever that attacked their heart. But, and those are super tragic, but a lot of times these kids are sick. They were born sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't right, you know, and so we do what we can to help them, right. you know, but like their starting bar is quite low. Whereas picking up like one of my very last stars was picking up 
um, a German man who I'd climbed past on the nose like two days prior. And then him and his buddy were on half dome and he pulled the block off and fell okay. and cut his rope. And he was a guide. He was a super talented rock climber. They just done the nose in two days. The, the loss of life that was nothing but promising right, at the like time. the ending of a trajectory. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, it just, yeah, the accidental nature of it. Uh-huh. And plus the fact that like I've gotten off route the first time I did have to, my buddy got off route in a very similar spot. Right. You know, and we just got lucky. So what, you know, SAR is, you know, there's so many climbers that have been on that and, you know, the stories are, are many and mythical. What, what do those guys do about this? What do they, do they offer you guys, uh, I mean, any debrief counseling, anything like that in terms of dealing with this sort of stuff? Yeah. I mean, it, it's a government agency, right? So there is, there's CISD, the critical incident stress debriefings mm-hmm. that you could go to after those where you like sit around and talk. Um, I don't think I ever went to one. I think after there's a lot of drinking afterwards, right. we always had like CISD whiskey, Right. So we just, I think after the, that climber fatality on half dome, we would do, I had a projector that year, like this little like pocket iPhone size projector. And so we would do star sight movie night and project onto one of the tent cabins and it was a big Lebowski night uh-huh. and we were making white Russians. Sure. I'm pretty sure I, I just, I drank white Russians until I, when I tried to stand up at the end of the movie, I just fell over. So it was maybe not the most healthy way to deal with it. Right. But, but you deal with it. I don't think that's unusual in, in EMT <laughs> worlds. And uh, paramedic worlds. Yeah. So did you have any other personal ways to cope? Quitting. Yeah. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you, when you left, I'm sure they were like, hey, bummed to see you go and, and asked you why. Was that your, did you cite that with them? Yeah. I mean, that was, there's a number of reasons why, I mean, Yosar is the coolest job you'll ever, well, job with air quotes but, that you'll ever have. But it also is six months a year of being in Yosemite. And so you can't do any of the other summer climbing destinations. Mm. Um, and couple that with what for me ended up being a big issue of, of the death. And it doesn't seem to bother some of the folks, which is why they're so great at that job. Right. In the same way that it, it seemed to get to me. Well, for so many people, it honestly, it's a little bit like guiding in that for so many people, it seems as though a couple few years and then moving on is probably the best idea. I think, um, I've known a lot of guys that have stayed on that for a long time, past them enjoying it, past them finding any fulfillment in it, you know, and sort of festering out in there. Well, there are some career guys that move up through the chain, you know, but for a lot of people, it's like a great moment and get some skills and make great friends and, and do good in the world and then, and then sort of move on. Yeah. I think most folks do between three and five years. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pick up a gun and become a ranger, then that's sort of, pick your... up a gun and become <laughs> a ranger. Well, I mean, that's what you're saying. Like, that's how you become yeah. a lifer. Like yeah, if yeah. you want, yeah. if you want to be able to actually have a life in Yosemite, the, the, the most viable way is oh, to, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm old, old friends with Brandon Latham. Oh, okay. So. Yeah. See, he picked up a gun. <laughs> I know he did. I mean, he's, he's a great guy, a climbing ranger, yeah, but totally. that, that's how you make it work. If you, I just, I, last time I shot a gun, I cried. So, okay. Oh, not my thing. Right on. Well, let me ask you, um, let's go move on to more fun ideas. Yeah, and we'll so you, uh, you showed up, uh, grandpa, our guy said, you got to have climb. <laughs> Climbed uh, El Cap ten times by to get on SAR. Yeah. You hadn't climbed it yet at all at, at that all. point. Right. So tell me about the first couple uh, or the first time you decided or either tried or were successful because I want to kind of lead up to this. Uh, you know, eventually just blazing up the nose like it was nothing. My first season that fall, there was another woman. There'd been a couple of folks that had gotten fired um, at the beginning of the season, and it was really sad to see these great guys go. It ended up being great for me because another woman came on who was in a similar position to me, Chantelle Astorga, who is a super badass mountain guide, really good kayaker, but she was new to the climbing scene like I was in Yosemite. And so we kind of like partnered up and she was going to try and do Zodiac with the girlfriend of one of the experienced star guys. And as they were Jumar their fixed lines, Sako punched herself in the face with her Jumar and gave herself a bloody eye as she was passing a knot. And so I got to like sub in for, for Sako and did, got to do uh, the Zodiac with the fir- after the first four pitches had been fixed by them. 
on social and Chantel and I did it over like three days. I cried at most belays I led because I just can't. I still am terrible at it of like organizing a complex wobbly. I think that's why I went to speed climbing because you don't have to worry about right. organized anchors. Um, but it was really fun. And on, like it was even on that, that climb where each pitch I was like, Hey, Chantel, like, we did that pitch in an hour 15. This next one's just as hard. Like maybe we can do this one in an hour. And I had this stopwatch and which is like driving Chantel nuts with like, Oh, how fast can we do this next pitch? And it just seemed to sort of start from there. So your first ascent El Cap was not an epic, like the, uh, like the, uh, the South face. No, no. By the That's time nice. I, yeah, I think so. I, I epic on the South face, super epic on gold wall. We did two pitches over two days mm-hmm. on gold wall. Me and my buddy, that was classy. Um, and I think I did leaning tower with a gal that sort of dragged me up it and did half dome. Mm-hmm. And then I tried El Cap and did it with Chantel and Chantel had climbed the nose once she'd climbed triple direct the year prior. So she was the experienced one of the team. And so this was just like a, a few years ago, 2009. Okay. 2009. So yeah. six years ago, seven years ago. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. You're getting old. <laughs> so old. <laughs> All right. So let me, let, let's let, bring me through the, a little bit of the progression that led up to starting to a climb in a day and B maybe believing that, you know, you guys could be contenders as it were. Yeah, it was a, a funny thing. So again, Sky Detray, who was on USAR that year, 2009 was like, we were just sitting around shooting the shit one evening. And he was like, you know, the female speed record on the nose is 1215. And I had climbed El Cap twice. Then at that point I had done the dihedral wall with Chantel and, and Zodiac. And I was like, Oh, hadn't done any speed climbing. I was like, mm-hmm. that seems, seems really doable. No idea what I'm doing, but sure. And I sort of started to like scheme like, all right, I knew the next year there was going to be this other woman joining the SAR team that had, she'd soloed all cap. She's super badass, been out to Patagonia and I didn't even know her, but Sky knew her and had sent me her like Facebook contact. And so I messaged her and I was like, Hey, like, I really want to climb the nose in a day. You think maybe we can, you want to work towards that. And so we started off in the beginning of the season we did uh, Skull Queen on Washington Column. We pushed that. It took us like nine hours. And then we we're like, all right, well, let's do Lurking Fear. And we did Lurking Fear in like 22 hours. It was the first time either of us had done El Cap in a day. And we like bivy, shiver bivied on top. And it felt really epic and hard. Um, and I was dating a one of like the silent crushers in the valley that year. And he agreed to jug the nose for me. So I was like, I just want to want to lead every pitch because then I really feel like I'll be ready to go to try and do this thing faster. And so my boyfriend at the time jugged for me and we went and I had been to Dolt tower a couple of times for like practice runs and going at it with a really strong partner who I knew could like get us to the top in four hours from any point on the wall. Right. Was, was super confidence. Yeah. Boosting. Nice. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> have the escape hatch. Yeah. Just like if anything goes wrong. Like <laughs> I know that Jake can just like <laughs> to the top. It'd right. be great. But fortunately I through the grace of caffeine and Gatorade, we did it in 14 and a half hours. 14 and a half hours. Yeah. Leading it all. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It was, and so it was. So, like, you're looking at, you know, two hours to get this record. Yeah. Like, shaving that. And it just sort of suddenly felt, I was just like, wow, it's a matter of what deciding you want to do something and just making mm-hmm. it happen. Mm-hmm. So, and having a jugger that you trust. Right. It was great. So how many times did you try and how did you end up hooking up with, uh, with Mayan? Then? With Mayan? Yeah. Um, I think total now I've climbed the nose 13 or 14 times. I'm not sure. So I climbed with Althea, the woman who I started doing my speed climbing with a bit. And then I started climbing with Chantel Astorga, who I'd done the Zodiac with. And Chantel and I broke the record for right, the first time. Right, that's what I recall. Yeah. We did it in 1040 or something. Uh-huh. And then, um, I don't even know how it came to be. Like, mine was kind of living with me on the SAR site because she was working, excuse me, she was working on the Salathe. And we just started talking about it and decided to team up and give it a try. Right. And so then we did it a couple of times together. What does the record stand at the moment? It is. Oh, come on. It's, it should be, you don't have a tattoo. You don't <laughs> no. have it memorized. No, because I keep confusing it with our previous time. But actually, okay. we had this question come up the other day, and it took both of us about 10 minutes before we could remember. It's 4.43. Four it, hours and 43 minutes. Yeah. But it's still twice as slow as the men. They're you, 2.23. They've been at it for a yep. while. 
Just and plus, it's a lot of different guys chipping away at it. Yeah. You know? I know, ladies. Get out there. It's true. I mean, that's what needs to happen, yeah. for sure, is to get... We need two Mayans, like two 514 rock climbers, not like not like a 512 rock climber and a 514 rock climber, because like there definitely is a lot of time. The lab is working on that, actually. <laughs> yes. We need to get some of those really crusher ladies to actually go and do yeah, it. Yeah, she's she's uh, she is she has um, seems to have high executive functioning. Yes. Yeah. To get things done and, and you know, to part, figure out how part to do German. it. Yeah, it very, very much so. So uh, we talked, when you were on the live show, we did the Red Rocks one. Um, we talked a little bit about the mechanics, but, uh, you know, uh, it was more of an, a jokingly entertaining way. Um, mildly entertaining, I would hope, anyway. <laughs> so let me ask, as long as you're sitting here, let me ask you a little bit about the mechanics of what it takes to do something like this. Because... Um, you know, I'm really sort of, I pay a lot of attention to climbing, but even I like took me a long time to figure out what the hell you guys are doing up there because I was a wall climber of the other stripe of what you were talking Vertical about. Vertical camper. Yeah. And, How to pay and, and drink a Cobra. And it, no, actually I wasn't that kind of, <laughs> but I was, uh, you know, with the really hard pitches, it's, it's not uncommon for like an eight hour pitch Yeah, Oof. and you do. Yeah two of those in a day on a big day and and i sold a lot of the roots so you know then i was just like so hardcore creeping and crawling up the thing you know (laughs) and like basically between the time i would wake up eat and rack up you guys would have already done the nose you know before i had like pounded my first pin so that that's why it took me a while and and also i mean i came from a generation where those guys were first starting to do you know the speed walls so yeah. that boggled my mind too, you know, that, that people Dean were doing, Hammond and, Evo, yeah. just. and they were doing these walls that had taken me seven days in like 32 hours or whatever. So let me talk to you about that because I think people are probably curious about what it takes. First of all, I actually have a question about this timing element. Okay. Okay. Is what, like, obviously everyone has agreed on some sort of, um, rule about that. Like, so what is it? The start and stop clock? Yeah, like you got your stopwatch or somebody else does. Do you have to have a third person? Uh, I don't I mean, I mean, maybe for the men, because at times it was being cut down by seconds right. when Dean and Stanley were, were battling Honold and Hans. Um, but for us, you know, we just had a stopwatch and the nose starts at the base of the And nose. everyone just took your word for it. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Would I lie to you? That's the, I don't know. Would I lie? I Look just at this face. You. No, we've met <laughs> um, No, I mean, there are people I'm in the meadow, okay, and right, you know, we did right. have a film crew and right. whatnot. And, uh, the last time, Tom eventually. Tom on the bridge is watching. Yeah, you know, like, how would everyone else know how badass we are right. if we didn't have Tom's friend? Right, exactly. That's from a online quote. Not, um, <laughs> but, yeah, so the route starts at the base of the route, obviously. Like, So you climb up the toe. You climb up either pine line or you like the fourth-class gramble to the actual base of the first pitch. That's where the stopwatch starts. Okay. Climb so you're thing. like, hands are poised. Yeah. It really is like, choop, and ready, set, go. I'm like, mine clicks the watch because okay. I lead the first block. Okay. Go. It's really cardio-inducing, the beginning bits, because there's so much moderate climbing. Uh, and then there's a tree for the nose that is like the final tree. Okay. That, so the picture of, of them, of like... There's Dean, like, Dean, like diving for it. Yeah. yeah. And there's like video of me just like running because it ends up like on this like third class right. thing where you're just like dog paddling up this slab, just like feeling you're about to throw up and you just have shits everywhere because you've quit organizing things because you've been moving so fast. And right. Dive for this tree and you touch the, the top of the nose. It's this tree. That's where the watch stops. Okay. Now, so you're diving and stopping your watch at the same time. Well, mine would be because she... She starts it. Cause, oh, right, because you have to finish it. Yeah, because it, it finishes people, when the right, second right, person right, finishes. Yeah, duh. yeah. Okay. So that's the mechanics of that. Yeah. And then um, I made you talk about it before, but talk to me a little bit about this short fixing Yeah, thing. So, so your tactics for doing the nose in a day depend on who your partner is. And when I've done it with a number of different partners, it it depends on how good the climbers that you are and how much risk you're willing to take. And so... When I do it with Mayan, who's an exceptional climber, and we have a similar risk-reward profile, we simul-climb the first 16 pitches with me leading because she's able to follow 5.11 behind me no matter, even if I don't leave any gear, which I don't really because I have about two pieces per pitch that I leave. So you, you're able to do 16 pitches without a changeover? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Jesus you Christ. Stay on the same rack. And I have right. to get... I need for the boot... 
for the boot flake, which is my last pitch, I have to have every, everything from a point three to a number two. So I have to have a single rack for the last pitch. Okay. So, cause I can't, I'm like super, super worked by that point. The climbing steep 10 C is right. I'm getting better at it every time okay. I do it. But, uh, yeah. So we simul climb all of that. And then, um, Mayan, I take her for the King swing and she does the King swing swings over. She climbs the next two pitches with no gear and then short fixes me to the Lynn Hill Traverse, which is like the bolted variation that Lynn Hill pioneered to be able to free climb the nose. And I just do a big lower out off the boot. We simul climb through the Lynn Hill Traverse because there's, there's like a bunch of 5.7 terrain. And then we start short fixing because I'm not a good enough climber to be able to simul climb behind Mayan. Right. And that just involves so Mayan gets up. She finishes a pitch, clips into the anchor, calls off belay, or she probably calls off belay before she clips in. And pulls up however much rope she thinks she's going to need, somewhere between like 40, 80 feet, and ties it off clove hitch or figure eight on a bite, something, and yells down to me that line's fixed. And so I can start G-marring, and now she's got this big, say, 60-foot loop of slack. And there's two ways you can go about it, is you can put yourself on belay, and you take your gree-gree and do like a solo system, essentially, right. mm-hmm. where you're belaying yourself, and you're only going to fall just like... You, from your last piece you sounds flipped. slow it's much slower <laughs> <laughs> it, but it depends on what you're doing okay. like what what route you're on right. who your partner is what your goal is and so like with mine and i we we don't do the belay so we run the pd that's what i was getting at yeah the, <laughs> <laughs> you, you run the the pakistani death loop is what it's called right and you just have that 60 foot loop of slack and you clip your rope to the gear that whatever gear you're placing if you're placing anything um and it's pretty big no fall zone right you're gonna you're gonna go whatever distance of rope you have out minus you know the fall factor so do you generally then do you generally bother to place some gear to cut that in half or whatever i mean you you do because because you're pulling on it you're often pulling on it yeah as well especially like in those upper pitches i mean maybe mine probably doesn't actually she's so strong but um you do, and there's lots of pins on the nose, sure. which is great. I mean, that's so how I'm able to clip, do the clip, first clip, 16 pitches right. on a single rack is that you, I'm clipping a lot of fixed okay. pins and anchors. So anything's better than nothing, maybe, hopefully. So is there like uh, in the system, essentially there's probably almost never a point where you're just like chilling even for like 30 seconds? No, not not in climbing the nose with Mayan. Right. Like, she, I, I think last time we did it, like she didn't even take a drink or eat anything uh-huh. cause she, because she really is simul climbing. She's climbing the whole time. Right. And it's, I mean, you're only up there for four hours. Yeah. And like hour. I had a couple of chances to like get a drink of Gatorade in or something or get some like electrolyte powder or whatever, but you don't really have time versus what I did on the Salathe. It takes 18 hours. I was just like rewatching some of the footage from that. I think there's parts of like, I'm like dancing at a belay for a little bit and like chatting. Right. You know. It's a bit slower paced. Sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, people, you're actually having to lead pitches and stand and belay and stuff. Or, yeah. Yeah. For the, for the upper portion, right, for the right. aid pitches on the upper portion. Right. Definitely. Uh huh. So do you have an idea of going back to that? To the Salafet. Yeah. To, to whittle that down or is it, is it just something that you were like, all right, we did, we did what we want to do. You're up ladies. It's kind of like the nose where every time you start at the base, you're like, all right, this is the last time. And then you get to the top and you're like, oh, especially because that was my first time doing the Salathe. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I could totally do it faster now. Right. I don't know. We'll see. What are your um, other aspirations in climbing? <laughs> um, I mean, you, 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 you might have like a, a moment here where you're like, okay, well, I'm done with the nose, maybe. Yeah. No, um, I'm done with And that nose. sort of thing. So what's, <laughs> uh, what are your sort of aspirations, do you think? I'd like to become a good rock climber. Okay. And what do you mean I'd by be- that? Like we were at the bouldering comp last night and like watching all these kids just crush and pull these really cool hard moves. So it'd be really fun to be able to free climb El Cap. Uh-huh. Um, same standard things for, for most El Cap climbers is that you use it as a training ground, right? To want to go to like the bigger, badder granite mountains of the world. So it'd be great to go to down to Patagonia or get out to the Karakoram or something at some point. Have you done any of those types of things yet? I've been down to northern Patagonia. We did a wall that Doug Tompkins had gotten us a picture of that he had taken from his airplane. It was like a beautiful 4,500 foot granite thing. Um, but 
so much to do out there still. Right. So we'll get there. Right. <laughs> Inshallah. And then what, what do you, um, in terms of this, well, I hope I want to become a better rock climber. I want to become a better free climber. Do you sort of have any sort of, uh, plan for that? <laughs> well, I had a plan. Because I thought, oh, I'm going to be in the Bay Area for three months this year. And a couple of the Yosar guys that are super good boulderers live in the Bay Area. And I was like, I'm going to go bouldering with them. It's going to be great. I'm going to learn how to rock climb. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to do Moonlight Buttress and Freerider this spring. And then I just, I haven't rock climbed since Salathay. Okay. I did like that? one, one eve that was in October. Yeah. And that probably didn't do much to make you a better free climber <laughs> no, anyway. Definitely so. not. Oh my, I seriously <laughs> thought the five, eight slab on the top of that pitch, like I hand placed a beak. I thought I was going to die. I was so terrified. So it definitely was made me rethink the possibility of doing free rider. Mm-hmm. If I thought the five, eight at the top was so hard. If bouldering isn't like this spark that you have, this from my experience, it's really hard to just like conjure the the excitement. You know, I feel like it's like <laughs> if you don't have it, if it doesn't draw you, it's really hard to conjure like the kind yeah. of it's it's easy just to go and fart around, but it, to conjure the kind of like oomph where you're trying to get better at it, it's I think it's pretty hard. Yeah, it was just probably why I haven't done it yet, yeah. and I just keep talking about it. All right, well. You know, you've got, <laughs> what, when are you done with this stint in nursing? Uh, I got th- three more weeks. Yeah. Then you can start tuning up. But then I fly to Libya. Okay. After that, you can start tuning up. Yeah. So then I'm going to go climb walls in Zion. I know. But then as soon as you're done with that. But then I'm going to go to Nigeria or yeah, Libya again. Right. You'll start tuning up any minute now. <laughs> <laughs> but then I'm going to go for, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen somewhere sometime. Right, back maybe. to question A from the beginning <laughs> of the podcast. Um, I wanted to actually, you, you've hinted at, a, at an incident, um, a broken leg. Um, yeah. And another time I spoke with you, maybe it was during the, during the live podcast or maybe it was just a conversation that one of the things that happened in that is that the the rescuer became the rescued. Yeah. Uh, what happened with that? I was out going to do the third pillar of Dana. So like just outside the Yosemite East border, mm-hmm. um, with two friends and early season. So it's still a bit of snow in the gully. And like, you know, you hike up for like an hour and a half or whatever, and then you have to drop down a gully to get to the base of this beautiful rock wall. And then you climb out to the top and that's where your packs are and everything. And I was like tromping bound. I was super excited. And I was like ahead of everybody. Being like, oh, they're going so slow. Why are they being so cautious? And then the next thing I know, I'm on this like couch-sized boulder. And I can tell where I want to go, but it's all snowy. So I'm like looking for another way around it. I'm like, oh, there's a bit of a ledge there. Maybe I can down climb. And then like this giant boulder just starts to go downhill with me on top of it. And it's super steep. Like it's a steep, you know, fourth class with bits of fifth class gully. And I like, had enough time to like, I feel like, remember I like crouched and I was like surfing. It's like, I got this. It'll be no big deal. And like my boyfriend at the time and my, my girlfriend are up above me and they're just like, they thought they were watching me die. Like I knew there was a ledge that I was going to hit. So I felt like I thought it was going to be fine and took this drop. It was, I don't know, maybe six, eight feet, not huge. And the granite all went tumbling and I like tumbled, but stuck it. And I sat up and I was like, oh, that was, that was good. And then I like look at my leg. And my right leg was fully 90 degrees, Ugh. just like super, really weird to like look at your foot to be like in the completely wrong, unnatural position. And so I shout up like that's what I remember. I was like, oh, I've broken my leg. It's it's severely angulated. It might be open. Um, and then that was where I just kind of lost my coherence. Right. So there's no cell phone service out there. So my, my boyfriend at the time that was with me was a doc. So he, he set my leg. He was like helping crab walk and he like pulled it straight while my girlfriend, who's a super good runner, ran out to the trailhead yeah. and like got to the car and drove up to the entrance gate and called, called for help. And fortunately, even though I wasn't in Yosemite because it was vertical terrain and I was a former Yosar that when the helicopter came, it was the Yosemite helicopter. So okay. I was, I was pretty excited when, when we saw that. Right. You have confidence. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's 551. Like, I know who's on board. I know what's going to happen. Like, I know how I'm going to get off. So did being a patient, not only in the rescue, but maybe even afterwards as a nurse, like, give you a perspective? (laughs) I mean, had you you ever been, like, in a trauma situation where you had to be nursed by other people? No, no, it really was my first time. I think, yeah, so the hospital was fine. Like, I, I was trying to be a good patient, although I, like, wouldn't let them put the compression socks on me or whatever. 
or the sequential compression devices. Um, but out in the field, I remember like the way I'd been put into the litter and like the way that the guy who was my former boss, actually, who was my medic, uh, he had like taped my leg in a certain way. And like, I had no control of the lower half of my leg really. Cause it wasn't attached with the bones anymore. And it was just like kept flopping. Oh, <laughs> I just remember just like, like bro, shouting dude, at him. Just like, what are you doing? Like, you can't tape it this way. You need to, <laughs> you need to tape it better. And he was like, what do you want from me? And I was like, for my Un- leg not to flop around. <laughs> Unfuck yourself. Like, come on. I think I was just a bit. I was a, I was a, I was a little stressed. Yeah. But you were under a little bit of duress. Yeah, a at little the bit. Time. I didn't have enough fentanyl at the you. time. Yeah. I think all is well. <laughs> okay, that's good. Um, well, cool. That, I just kind of wanted to circle back to that. Um, so w- last question is is like, you know, as funny as we are joking around about you know, your schedule and, uh, and the manic pace of it. So, you know, what's the, uh, I mean, the, is the outlook, you can just keep this going. Oh, yeah. I mean, do you have that kind of energy? I don't know. I would be like, I always do have like days scheduled in where like I have days, I have a day scheduled that is like on my, on my calendar. It'll be like sleep. Yeah. Today's the day where we watch Netflix. Do you? And we stare at a wall. Um, Sometimes like you have to, you know, cause in order to sustain it, you do have to take like, just, you have to, I have to at least have enough time to re-motivate for like the next thing. And so I, I do try and here and again, schedule down days, but usually those need to be like days where you're supposed to be doing bills mm-hmm. and laundry and such, but you at least get to sleep in. So I have to ask one more question now. <laughs> Cause this, you know, you, you mentioned there's uh, a few of your stories here. You, you know, I was dating this guy and, and everything else. Like, do you have time for that kind of stuff in your life? I mean, because uh, climbers in general, like can, can create situations where they may not realize it, but they're sacrificing, you know, these family things and these in relationship things and everything else. And it sounds like maybe you're like on a hyper version of that. Yeah, I mean, I think... And, and and I have to say that if you're as rad as you are and arriving in Yosemite on the SAR team, like, having spent time there, like, guys must be just, like, throwing themselves at your feet. Oh, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not guys you want to, like, have throw themselves at your feet. Don't get me, you know, I'm not saying that it was oh. your obligation to pick those people up off the ground, <laughs> but I'm just, you know, I've been there, like... Anyway, I just embarrassed you, but yeah. back to the more serious question. Like, do you, do you ever feel like, do you feel that sacrifice or, or do you manage to fit all that stuff into? Uh, it comes and goes, you mm-hmm. know, cause a lot of times the, the partners that I've had have fit nicely into my life, you know, and, and you have to be comfortable with each other's independence of, you know, they are going to go do this trip or this work stint and you're going to go do this thing and you're going to be apart for six months or mm-hmm. six weeks and you have to be willing to do that but certainly if you want to do something like what you're about to embark on um you know you have to sacrifices have to be made it's just like climbing you make right. your choices right and something has to give somewhere sometime maybe probably all <laughs> not right yet. not yet exactly <laughs> not yet. let's finish there thanks a lot we have to uh get you out of here um i really appreciate you coming yeah. back for the second uh normal cast appearance i know when you came on the first time People, I got emails. People wanted to have you back on, so I really appreciate you coming on. And, and uh, thanks, man. You know, you don't strike me as someone who's necessarily out there crusading for this, other than just by being an example. But I know that there's just thousands of women out there who are super inspired by you, and guys too, for that matter. You know, not to limit it to one side or the other, but um, like I said, without maybe being on a pedestal and shouting about it, you've been a real inspiration to a lot of folks. So. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, man. It's been fun. All right, folks. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Libby for coming on. It is a lot of fun to have very adventurous climbers on the show. And she fits that bill right down the middle. One of those people out there keeping the flame alive. Am I right? Anyway, since we recorded this, Libby went back to Libya. And uh, if you guys are interested, you got to check out her Facebook page. 
don't know if it's personal or if it's an athlete page or whatever, but anyway, awesome photos of her climbing, but uh, also great photos of her and the other doctors and nurses with the little kids from all over the world who they are preventing from dying. I'll just put it that way. Remember, the EnormaCast needs your help. Go to EnormaCast.com, click on the Help Out page, do what you can to keep this thing alive. And the main thing is don't forget to tell your friends about the EnormaCast. Cool. Oh, you know, I haven't pushed the stickers in a while. Stickers. You want a sticker? Send an address. I will eventually get you stickers. Eventually. But yeah, just send an address. The nicest thing you can do is send it perfectly typed out with your name on it so I can just cut and paste it. That's the nicest thing to do. Send that address to chris at enormacast.com. Also, I have t-shirts, adiac.com, or go to enormacast.com and click on the t-shirt banner. All right, get out there, have some fun. If you can avoid it, stay off the Pakistani death loop and check your knot. Every time. So, have you thought a little more about what you might want for your birthday? Can I get a puppy? You want to get a dog? Yeah, a cuddly fluffy one. And a Bratz movie star makeover, Sasha. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you, Daddy. Look, I love a French Bay Model 42 butterfly knife. Oh, child. <laughs> you always knock me for a loop. <laughs>